uh, fulfill and pursue. So brothers and sisters, as we gather together today in worship and in awe and reverence of our God, let me, uh, let me read to you Psalm 19 as we are called into worship. The verses are 7 to 10. You can close your eyes if it helps to focus on the words of this psalm. Allow me, to allow me to read them to you. It reads, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the law is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Amen. Let's close our eyes and let's take the time uh, to just simply pray in our own hearts and ask God um, and seek the Lord at this time. Allow me to remind you some of the things that we've been told through the psalmist, that the law of the Lord is perfect. He is a most perfect God. He restores our souls. He is, uh, his testimony is sure. He makes wise, uh, making wise the simple. He is right. He's rejoicing. Uh, he, we are to rejoice in our hearts the commandments of the Lord, for they are pure and they are enlightening. And this last part, that his righteousness and himself and in his judgments are things that are most desirable, more desirable, it reads, than gold itself. So let's just simply pray in our own hearts at this time as we come before God that these things would hold true in our understanding and that they would be believed in our hearts as being most absolutely true. Let's thank God for his good and gracious will and his holy and perfect law and his most gracious covenant and his greatest gift, his son, Jesus Christ, who came and died for us. Let's pray. pray in Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let me draw your attention to the screen as we read from our shorter catechism. Uh, I want to read to you question 72 on the heels of, of course, last week, what is required in the, uh, in the, in the seventh commandment. And today we read what is forbidden in the seventh commandment. The answer reads, the seventh commandment forbids all unchaste thoughts, words, 
and actions. Quite simple, right? Uh, this term might be a little bit unfamiliar to you, uh, but the term itself is simply uh, things that are uh, not of God, unholy, right? Unholy thoughts, words, and actions. We see, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount by Christ preached and taught that it is not simply outward or external action or behavior that is condemned and deemed unrighteous before God, but even the very thought of unrighteousness itself is sin and evidence of sin in our lives. So let this be a reminder to us that our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, our actions, all will be held accountable. Let's uh, go into time of prayer. I will pray for us, and then our worship team will lead us in time of song. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, we thank you so much this day, this beautiful day. We thank you for the weather. Um, here in Canada, we're pretty used to not having uh, not so long a summer, so each and every single day that is sunny, bright, and warm, we are so uh, glad to have and we're so uh, privileged to enjoy. We ask, O oh Lord, that on this Lord's Day that we gather together um, in worship, our hearts, not just our bodies, that, Lord Father, the songs we lift and sing will be honoring to you. God, we also pray uh, that as we learn from your word that we will reap good things this day, that these things that we are taught will not simply be uh, just information or words uh, that enters our ears and is just enlightening for a moment, but will be permanent in its stain upon our lives. We thank you so much, Father, for your holy word, your holy inerrant word. We thank you for its teaching, its providence, and its continual uh, assurance upon our lives. We look to you this day. We honor, glorify, and lift you. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, our priest team will lead us in a time of song. Sin had left a crimson stain. 
Father, we just want to confess to you just our weaknesses, um, our sin, just how lost we are um, in the day-to-day life, um, just how dependent we are on ourselves and not on you, Lord. We confess these things um, not in hopelessness, but knowing that, God, you are our hope, that um, when we put our faith in you, you promise to uh, sustain us, to provide um, for every need. Lord, help us to depend on you, not on ourselves, um, to find hope in you and not in whatever effort, emotion, or will, or motivation that we find within ourselves. Um, And we pray for the word to be uh, renewing to our hearts today, and we trust um, that process. We entrust that to you and the Holy Spirit at work in each and every one of us in this room. And yeah, we just pray for Um, your will to be upheld and for us to just respond in thankfulness and joy and obedience um, to your word, your gospel today. So we thank you for um, this time and the opportunity we have to praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. sounds so good um very grateful for them um so bravo uh, you can you guys can thank them later okay welcome uh looks like we got a full house again if we need some extra chairs you can certainly grab them from the side i want to thank you all of you thank all of you i should say for being with us here today if it's your first time we welcome you to sheepgate fellowship and hopefully we we'll get your names down and you'll join us for f- some fellowship uh to get to know you a little bit better But uh, we're going to continue our sermon series today. We're going to be reading from Malachi chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 6 to 12. Last week we looked at verses 1 to 5 of Malachi 3. Of course, looked at uh, the text on refiner's fire and the fuller soap. Some of the rebukes that we observed in the the first five verses. Uh, We're now reading a text that is probably, mm, I think it is, uh, the most famous at least one of these verses, the most famous passages in all of Malachi. So that's Malachi 3, verses 6 to 12. I'll read from my Bible, and you can follow in yours. By the way, is the air conditioning working? Is, is it working? We try to fix it, right? We're not like, it's much better, right? Praise God. All right. Just making sure. I kept like, I was really worried about air conditioning this week. Um, Praise God for air conditioning. Malachi 3, verses 6 to 12. Okay. I'll read from my Bible and you can follow in yours. Um, This is the word of God. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob, rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, 
the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. The word of God. Before we go into our sermon today, I'd like to pray for an unreached people group. I have no idea how to pronounce Joy, do you know how to pronounce this? Mayotte? Mayotte? Well, anyways, this is a country. Um, my apologies. I really wish I knew how to pronounce it. It's a very small island nation uh, in the east coast of Africa. Uh, but um, even on this island, there is an unreached people group called the Bushi. And there's 72,000 of them. Believe it or not, they are Muslims, right, on this eastern island of Africa. So uh, it looks like an island. Not really certain, actually. Um, but we're praying for them. The Bushi of Mayotte uh, in Africa, mainly Muslim, 0% Christian. Very unfortunate. Praying for their salvation this day. Uh, globally, I was reading some letters this week and some of the interactions that have been going on in the church among Christian communities in Ukraine. And um, it continues to be a dire situation. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to read some of these letters, especially pastoral letters. Maybe I'm in like the pastoral circle, so I'm receiving some of this content, but uh, it's very, not so much heartbreaking, but very convicting. Right? Well, there are heartbreaking components to it, but uh, it is quite convicting to see their faith amidst such times. Let's not forget there is a war in Ukraine right now and there are people continuing to suffer. Uh, so we want to lift up a prayer for them today. Uh, so let's pray together and we'll get into the Word. Dear God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your Holy Word. We ask as we read from Malachi 3 that we would be not only enlightened in our minds, convicted in our hearts, that its truth would maintain and sustain our lives. Father, we thank you um, for the people of Mayotte, and we pray for the Bushi. We pray for their salvation. Just a little over 72,000 of these people lost in the lies of Islam. We ask, O oh Lord, um, that missionaries, Christians, believers, uh, however you've ordained, uh, would reach out to them and that they would come to hear and respond in faith to the gospel, the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we also pray at uh, this time for our brothers, sisters, and just citizens of Ukraine who are suffering, who are continuing to see their country uh, go through a time of war, uh, in many ways unprecedented, at least in modern times, and a global community that perhaps has grown uh, in apathy towards this situation. We ask that as the church, we will continue to pray uh, for their well-being, uh, but greater than their physical, their spiritual well-being, that they would continue to maintain faith and hope and prayer in a season so dark. We thank you for their faithfulness and yours. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Today's sermon is called, Test Me Now in This. It comes straight from the text. Of course, that is the very verse that I think many people are familiar with. 
from the book of Malachi. In fact, Malachi is probably known mostly for this particular verse and text. Uh, this is not a comfortable text to preach from for many preachers or churches due to its immediate connotation, I think, to what people assume as like a money grab from the church or, you know, uh, you know, a recommendation to the church to offer more, to give more, right, etc. And so it is at times uncomfortable uh, for preachers and pastors to preach this because, of course, it's an area that we struggle in altogether. But it's also something I think, of course, uh, from the church perspective, the optics of it sometimes comes into play and it gets really messy sometimes, right? So I've prepared this sermon and I preach to you just faithfully what's in the text, right? And, you know, whatever way you take it or how you hear it, uh, I hope the Spirit will convict you to hear it correctly for the text is quite clear on what it says. But it's not so much about the offerings themselves is what I'm going to get to. And we'll see how we get there. A while back, I came across a short YouTube video uh, of a stand-up comedian. I could not, for the life of me, remember who it was, who was talking about his experience in the church. So he used to go to church. He grew up in the church. Might have been Catholic. I'm not sure. But anyways, he grew up in some kind of religious uh, institution. He was not a believer at the time of this stand-up show. And so he began to mock the Christian faith and God and of course everyone's laughing and he was asking the question why does a god who has all this power and all knowledge and all these things who has everything that you could infinitely right has everything creates all things this god why does he ask for money <laughs> right and that was sort of like the punchline everyone starts laughing of course this god asking for money is ridiculous so his whole thing was like yeah this is obviously the church uh just using god right and using this practice of giving offerings is a means to collect money right it's kind of what cults do right joke was of course the church is basically ripping its congregants and its members of their money at the same time promising good things to those who give instilling fear demanding good deeds from them for the wrong reasons to him it made no sense that a being such as god would ask just people lowly people for their money now there are clearly things this man did not know, and I would have loved to convey to him, namely a correction of his understanding of who God is and the reason for which offerings are commanded in the church. It's very easy for the secular audience around us, perhaps yourself at times have questioned this, to conclude incorrect things about the practices of the church. The first century church, for example, faced criticism and accusation from the Roman world around them that they, uh, that. Uh, that had thought, the Roman world, had thought of the church that they were eating babies in their homes. And this is how they thought they were eating the babies. They thought they were taking infants, baking them in bread, thus killing the baby, and then consuming, thus, baby bread, right? This is what they thought was happening in these home church gatherings, if you will. You might ask, why? Why, why such a gruesome portrayal of the church from the Roman world? Well, this was because they had heard that Christians would gather and drink the blood and eat the flesh of some innocent child, right? That's what they heard. So their conclusion sort of was, oh, they're baking babies and bread and then eating them, right? These perceptions of the church, pra of the church practices stem, of course, from what? A lack of understanding, a lack of theological knowledge. 
Much like our comedian friend who lacked in his knowledge of who God is, the Israelites today are reminded of exactly that, who God is. That he is an unchanging, immutable God, and that it is not God who has broken or turned away from his covenant promises, but rather that it was Israel who had done such. Their claims against God are actually claims they ought to be receiving from God, which is exactly what happens today. Human centrality will always lead to decreasing of who God is. And when we make ourselves greater than God, the center, and make God revolve around us, well, we are essentially echoing the sin committed in the garden. Proper obedience stems from proper understanding, and proper understanding will reap the benefits of that proper obedience. Three points to today's sermon. The final point is really the longest. The first two will be a little shorter. The first is immutable God. Verse 6, define what that means. Verse 7, return to the Lord. That's the command that is given, right? The appeal that's given on, uh, given to Israel by God. And then the final verses, verses 8 to 12, we'll look at this issue of tithes and offerings. Really, obedience to God. So three points, immutable God, turn to the Lord in tithes and offerings. Let's look at this first verse, verse 6, and look at the immutable God. Before getting to the correction of behavior, human behavior, in today's text, Malachi's rebuke starts with a correction of their theology. The Christian doctrine of immutability states this, that God cannot undergo any change, either intrinsically or real in any way. Intrinsically meaning knowledge, internal or understanding. He cannot gain in knowledge, cannot lose in knowledge or understanding, nor any real change in nature or being of who and what he is. He cannot change, certainly in any way. We learned this in the Westminster Confession of Faith. We read together in this church, right? Chapter 2, paragraph 1. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise. Whereas human beings are certainly mutable. We change both intrinsically and we undergo real changes on various levels of our being. This is observable to any sane human, that human beings are mutable. So for Israel to claim that God has changed, which appears to be the case, is a major failure in their understanding of God. The lack of blessing in their lives, from their perception, should not conclude for them a lack of or change in God's commitment or God himself, but rather it is it should reveal a lack and change in them. If God is one that is immutable, then it is the mutable who are to be corrected. For how can one that is perfect and unchanging be corrected? God reminds Israel that if he truly was unfaithful to his people, then they would have perished long ago. Read the text. Verse 6, what does it read? For I, the Lord, do not change. Thus, therefore, because of this unchanging nature to God, you, O sons of Jacob, Israel, are not consumed. Consumed by wrath. What? The wrath of God, right? For their sins. God may temporarily deprive us of joy and it may seem that he has forgotten us at times. Like there are seasons of this, right? Difficult moments, suffering moments, uh, moments of loss, moments of failure, disappointment. But he himself is unchanging in his mercy in this. 
that he permits in your life the tasting of goodness as you live out your earthly lives. It's like we, in our sinful state, naturally assume this, that we deserve good from a good God. It is unfortunate, brothers and sisters, that much like Israel, we are prone to look at what we don't have in life and question, why would a good and loving God not pour more blessing upon me who is so faithful? Instead of realizing this, that our good and loving God is relenting wrath and curse against you, the sinner, so you would not be immediately consumed and destroyed. It sure sucks, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? If you've ever been in this situation, you know how much this sucks. It sure sucks when the person who is in the wrong against you does not recognize the patience you are exercising and enduring for their sake, right? Someone who's wronged you a lot, someone who's really done harm against you, and you're trying to be loving and kind and gracious and patient, and they don't recognize any of it. How annoying is that? It's one of the most annoying things ever, right? <laughs> Second point, return to the Lord. So on the heels of this, with their theology corrected, Malachi gives a simple command, return to the Lord. This is a correction in their understanding of the situation. They have a correction in God, an understanding of God, thus leading to a correction in, of their understanding of their current situation. If you know now that God is immutable, that He's unchanging, and that it is in fact you who have changed in your commitment, then return to Him. This is a call to repentance. And you will observe a return of God to you from your perspective, for that is the covenant promise. God is in their eyes away from them, not because he is unfaithful, but because of their unfaithfulness, their sin. He cannot tolerate sin. That is his nature as a holy and righteous God. For their return, or in New Testament language, their repentance would thus allow for a return of God, if you will. But the question of how shall we return indicates to us this, that they lacked in their understanding of their sin, the true reality of the situation. They thought it was God who needed to return to commit himself again to them. How arrogant, right? The message of the Old Testament laws and covenants is no different from the message of the New Testament covenant. It is a message to all sinners to repent and believe. Recognition of who God is leads to revelation of who we are in light of Him. Something we've been learning through Malachi. And that, brothers and sisters, is what allows the sinner to bend their knee at the cross. Recognize the need for God. Finally, if we have an understanding of God as immutable and unchanging and He is good and faithful always, and He's preserving us and allowing us to taste good, and then secondly, that our call as, as God's people is to repent and believe, to turn away from sin, return to the Lord, to, to turn to Him, set our sights upon Him, to believe and follow. What comes with that? 
is not just this turning to God and returning to Him, but a natural symptom of that, or something that overflows, outflows from the Christian, is of course, those who believe will act in accordance with what they believe. So we see this in the final verses, the final five verses, verses 8 to 12, and it's brought out in this specific situation of tithes and offerings, but it's not the core central message of what's being given today. It's just an example of one area that they are really being unfaithful. So let's take a look. Although it's easy here to focus in these verses on the one area of Israel's failure against God in the area of tithes and offerings. If you don't know what a tithe is, it's, uh, it's 10% that was given. We see this rooted in Abraham and later in, in Jacob. And then, of course, in the establishment of the Mosaic laws, we see this 10% of one's income given uh, back then, it would have been given to the Levites, the storehouse. It was used for emergency purposes as well as for the uh, Levites and their practices of preserving the temple, protecting the temple, and keeping the temple. Right? The Levites weren't given land. They were just given the temple to take care of, and all the other tribes would take care of them. Right? Through their harvest, through what they yield, through what they reap, etc. They would give as, in a sense, a taxation, but really an offering. Right? And there were multiple types of tithes that were given. And today in the church, right, many different denominations continue to practice this uh, for the activity and work of the church, right? So tithes and then offerings, there's general offerings, right? Thanks offerings, you know, whatever offerings, missions offerings, etc., right? So there are general offerings that were offered to God. The flow of verse 8, however, when we read it, the back and forth of the question and answer sequence between Israel and God indicates this to us, that their disobedience stemmed much deeper and spanned much wider, incorporating many areas of covenant failure on their end. And we've already seen some of these things mentioned in Malachi. What is specified, however, in this particular passage is this area of tithes and offerings. And this is where like pastors get a little shaky because they're like, oh shoot, people are going to leave my church if I preach this, right? But I got to preach this, right? By the way, I don't want like offering to increase today because of this. I um, just want to make, not to say don't give, but you know, uh, let's not make that a thing. This text has been used by many and continues to be used today to propagate a major misunderstanding of not only what God is teaching in this text, but also to promote in many different unfortunate uh, unfortunate uh, denominations or other places improper practices in the church. What do I mean by this? Prosperity, right? Prosperity gospel latches onto this text like very, very... Um, strongly. Prosperity preachers use this text to teach that God's blessings can be accessed and gained by this testing of God, if you will, by giving more faithfully, which really just means just give more money. Others use or read this text to look at God as some sort of needy being who demands things. Give me money, like how our government taxes us, or else there's dire punishment, right? You don't give, we punish you. It's not a little true to that, but it's the wrong emphasis. They look at God incorrectly. But as is the case with all of the commandments and laws, the purpose here is not for God to get richer by your giving, by, your, by the means of your giving, or by the means of taking from His people. I remember when I was earlier, uh, younger, my mom taught me, God is not asking for 10%. He's letting you have 90 Right? That always like, instilled a good mentality in me. I don't know if it's like, theologically true, but it, it just instilled a good mentality in me, right? Let's be real, if like, who's our favorite CEO? Elon Musk, right? If Elon Musk walked in, right? 
and this billionaire dude right owns tesla spacex everything and he was like give me 10 percent of everything you make i got i got i got you for the rest of my life i know mikey will stand up and be like 10 percent. i got i'll give you 15 <laughs> right all of us would do that why because we know what this man is capable of doing taking care of us right it's not to say we give to god so that he takes care of us but it's just our human minds are so fickle and we're so no offense really stupid when it comes to our understanding of god right like giving to god is so tremendously difficult but everything else is too easy is it not it's too easy to tap that card sometimes so people use this text and they misuse it but the purpose here is not so much uh, that god is saying give me money give me money right because that's a m misunderstanding of god the purpose here is covenant faithfulness Tambi and i will probably not probably we will be right married in a couple months it's kind of extraordinary right are you excited i'm excited but a wife or a husband i'm sure when you look at jordan you would want i mean you look at that relationship in a way covenantally right and you will want your covenant partner in that covenant to abstain from certain practices like it's assumed like you don't sit down and go okay here's what you can no longer do as a married as my married partner right like you can you don't need to walk through these things of course you could but it's assumed it's known it's obvious that in covenantal relationship that there are certain practices practices that you now abstain from there are certain practices that now you conduct yourself willingly in that you ought to in a certain way treat each other speak to each other right that's what we mean by marital covenantal faithfulness these are obvious variables even in an earthly human marital relationship so why does God demand such things from us these laws these commands that we ought to obey because he has determined the variables by which this covenant relationship will be upheld because these things are appropriate in that covenant relationship brothers and sisters I'm about to say a few things that might hurt you if you're not hurt good for you but if you are hurt I hope it'll be conviction if you are offended that God commands the giving of offerings to him, then it is likely you are worshiping a different God. That God is money. If it is hard for you to prepare, bring, and give an offering to God on Sundays, then you might be serving a different master. Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters, this is Christ's own words, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. God doesn't ask you to give because he benefits from it, nor does he get richer because you give. He asks you to give to free you from the love of money and the love of earthly treasure and the love of earthly wealth and all the prosperity that exists seemingly around you. He is correcting your understanding of what is most important. He knows what you are likely to love 
more than him. He knows your heart. When your wife or husband asks you to not text or talk to other girls or guys, whatever, is that so unreasonable? To not look at other people in a certain light, to not have intimacy with the other gender, is that so unreasonable? Or are you like me when I think of marriage and I think that's just obvious and that's just common sense? Devotion, commitment, faithfulness comes also with sacrifice. The Hebrew word here for rob is used only one other time in the Old Testament. Note that the English translation is not steal, but the English translation is rob. Some of your Bibles might have steal, but it should be rob. That subtle nuance is lost in the English, but the Hebrew is not lost, of course. And in the Hebrew, it is the difference between the word meaning to steal and the word meaning to forcibly take. I know it could sound like the same thing, but it's slightly different. In other words, Israel is forcibly taking from God that which is not theirs. They aren't stealing in the sense that we, they're like sneakily like taking something that they covet, but Israel is in active rebellion against God from his perspective. The priests were failing to educate their congregation on the contents of the covenant and what it would require, and so they were doing as they pleased. They were taking for themselves what they wanted. It wasn't so much that they were not giving, but they were claiming for themselves what ought to be given to God, what ought not to be given to God. How I will honor him, how much I will honor him, by my standard, much like the worship they were offering, as we discussed in chapter 1, it was a worship that failed to honor God. They were not giving to God in many senses, in many areas of their life, what rightfully should be lifted to Him. The return to God, as mentioned in verse 7, would involve obedience. Repentance involves obedience. In this case, laws and commitments by God's decree to his statutes, including the giving of offerings and tithes. Giving the offerings demonstrates not so much that, hey, I can give, but that I'm willing to obey. It demonstrates the correct and proper attitude of a person who understands who God is. A person of God must have a certain regard toward the material world around us. Paul says the material world around us is trash. A perplexing component to this text is that God challenges Israel to put him to the test. Did this, did this perplex you? It did for me. The very thing Jesus refuses to do in the temptation saga was Satan. Jump and the angels will save you, right? And Jesus says, no, no, no. You're not supposed to test the Lord your God, right? So why then does God say, test me in this? When it's clearly something human beings ought not to do. The language here can be confusing and contradictory to some, but a careful analysis of the text and the scripture as a whole, you'll realize that in context, the so-called testing of God here really is not a test of God at all. It's a test of Israel. When God says, test him in this, he says, test me in this, be faithful. So who's really being tested here? It's not a challenge towards God to act differently and to pour blessings and open the floodgates to them, but a challenge to Israel to be faithful to God. To change, to repent from their ways, to turn away and turn to God. Israel is being tested by God in his offer to test him. 
kind of reverse psychology, if you will, right? We see that if Israel is faithful, there will be a shift from curse to blessing. And that's perhaps the main idea here. That Israel has a covenant, they have a God who's faithful, they can certainly reap the blessings if only they themselves are faithful as well. The cost of following Christ, brothers and sisters, we see it all throughout Christ's ministry, New Testament. The cost of following Christ is everything. It's nothing short of everything. Every area of our life that we could possibly find more hope and more love and more joy, Christ says, love God. Love God more than your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your children. Love God more than your money, your job. Love God more than everything that you could possibly find any source of greater joy or pleasure in this world. Love God, for He is the greatest source of infinite joy and hope. And he doesn't just say it. He doesn't say, just give me everything. Give all yourself to me. He himself demonstrates it. He demonstrates it by the giving of everything on his end, of himself, for the sake of the sinner. In conclusion, I'm reminded today of the young, rich ruler in the New Testament, right? came to Jesus, said, Teacher, how do I enter the kingdom, right? They have this short conversation. It's recorded for us. And this man was a man of faith by his own standards. He obeyed the commands to not steal, to not murder, to not commit adultery, among other things. He kept his life clean in his eyes, did everything he could to one day be in the kingdom of God, be received and accepted by him. But what is it that Jesus says to him, in that conversation, Jesus says, One thing you lack, brother, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Do that, come and follow me. The young rich man, of course, became saddened. And scripture says it was because he had great possession and wealth. Here's a response from Christ. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why am I reminded of this particular story? Because brothers and sisters, the Israelites were lost in their understanding of what it meant to have a proper attitude and posture before God. It's not about the offering itself, and it's most certainly not about the amount of the offering either. The problem and issue here, both in the text and with this young rich ruler, it's about who God is and how we ought to revere that God. North American Christians are very much like this young rich ruler, unable to give, not because of a lack of money. And if you do say, well, I have a lack of money, sure, and we're not all like abundant, I'm not saying you're abundant and flowing in money. But no offense, I mean, you're 
you're eating out, buying things for yourself, right? $20 offering, $20 meal, mm, right? Like it's just kind of like priorities are skewed there, right? Like it's, you really have to, you need a financial planner, not me. It just really is, it's perplexing, but it's not perplexing. I'll tell you why it's perplexing. It's because we'll give everything else. <laughs> it's not perplexing because we live in a culture and society that values money over all things. And you are falling into that trap. It's not just about money, but it's just, just general posture before God, right? Brothers and sisters, your inability to give is not because of a lack of money. It's a lack of heart, a lack of reverence. We're so easy to save and spend freely on things that benefit us. When it's an investment, when it's a car, it's a house, it's clothing, it's luxury items, etc., and those are not, that's not the source of my rebuke. Luxury is not my rebuke here. Two things, love of money and a lack of love of God. Certainly spend what you earn through your hard work on quality things and leisure and other things like that. What, you know, non-unholy, like not unholy things in the world that you can enjoy, certainly. But do not at the same time then say, well, I'm not in a place to give. I agree with the comedian on this sense. God doesn't need your money. God wants your faithfulness. May we thank the Lord this day, brothers and sisters, for God's generosity to us, His graciousness to us. For while we refuse to give to Him something so petty as money, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life what a faithful god to such unfaithful people not much has changed since malachi praise his holy name let's take a moment to reflect and pray on what we've learned
Let me pray. God, we thank you for this time um, to just learn from your word and gain from it. Father, we thank you for its teaching and its enlightenment upon our minds and hearts. God, in light of this, uh, we give to you this offering. We give to you faithfully and cheerfully. We give to you, Lord God, because you, of course, provide for us in every way and aspect of our life that you would not have us consumed because you relent that wrath by your good and gracious uh, mercy upon us. We thank you uh, for your kind uh, gesture of protection upon us. And we ask, O oh Lord, uh, that we would live our life in accordance to your good news, your gospel, and in accordance with our faith and what its teachings and its uh, values and virtues. We thank you so much for this day. We ask and pray for great fellowship. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so welcome. What a full house. This is crazy. We need a new building. Anyways, get at the lights. Off, uh, sorry, not offering up. Announcement time, and then we'll conclude for today. First and foremost, welcome to all of you. A lot of new faces, so maybe our OG members, we can make take a little initiative today, get to know some of our new, uh, I guess, comers of church. Uh, so we thank you for that. Uh, welcome, if it's your first time. And our offering on that note can be sent to sheepkfellowship at gmail.com. Take transfer, of course, but we also have the good old basket um, with envelopes on the side if you'd like to give that way as well. Um, all of our recordings can be found online, so YouTube, podcast, whatever uh, platform you choose. You can find all of the recordings of our services and any other things that we do together as a church in terms of teaching stuff. Um, and you can find the audio recordings on podcast platform of your choice. We will continue, hopefully if we fit, in uh, after lunch on our Westminster Confession of Faith Study. I think we're on 2.3 now, which is exciting. Yay, right? Um, so join us for 2.3. Uh, later this afternoon following lunch uh, and uh, we have our monthly men's and women's group we'll be gathering I think tomorrow uh, so there are men's and women's group uh, this month particularly because we are I did announce this last week so I got to correct some things we are meeting uh, together for like a special hosted dinner by Andrew's parents we're gonna limit it to our regular attendees for our men's and women's group the only reason being is because they're hosting us it's our church like like grew too much they kind of were they shocked like how many people <laughs> yeah they were pretty shocked yeah so we're gonna just for their sake uh keep it to our regular attendees and then next month we'll have more open things available for all of our newcomers and if you'd like to get plugged in to our men's and women's group you're more than welcome to join us and uh, just talk to any one of us we'd love to have you a uh, couple announcements to just ring off two birthdays Aria, where is Aria? Aria usually, oh, there she is, Aria, yes, happy birthday. Um, so we'll be having cake for her. Unfortunately, Aria's book is on the way. So hopefully you're here next week. You will receive it. Uh, and Tens, Tens is also, uh, his birthday is also today. Uh, I think Aria's was yesterday. So happy birthday to both of you. And if there's any other birthdays and I'm forgetting you, uh, don't grow in bitterness, please. I would love to know your birthday so we can celebrate. Um, and I love gifting books on your birthday. So if you, it's kind of like Starbucks. You get a free drink on your birthday. Here you get a free book. So we'd love to give that to you. Um, our building search continues. We got a couple more prospects coming up. We'll be checking them out this week. Uh, the ones we have checked out, location and size have been the issue, main issue. Um, in terms of rental. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll got to negotiate. So if you have any places, for whatever reason, that you know of that we could all fit in, 
please talk to me. I have no idea why you would know, but if you do and you have some hookups, let me know. That'd be fantastic. Um, so that's that. So please pray for that. I think it's obviously a need at this point, uh, and we'd love to get into a space where we can have more room and just, you know, be able to accommodate more if need be. And uh, that's definitely a big prayer on our side as well as on the KM side. So that is urgent. Summer Bible study continues. It's the last week of August. It's supposed to end this Thursday, but uh, we'll see how it goes. So we're going to meet this Thursday, uh, maybe for the last time for at least the summer, and then we'll see how it continues. But you're all, you are all more than welcome to join us Thursday, 6.30 p.m., right here at church. Um, students, you're going back to school very soon, right? Is it next week, right, after whatever? Um, so we want to bless you at the church, so I've budgeted something for just the students. So if you're, if you're done school, like you finished school this summer, you are not eligible, okay? Only those who are now taking courses, like as of September, you are eligible for a free meal. We like to host you at the church, uh, and we like to just bless you as the year starts, uh, and maybe like, you know, whip you into discipline so you study more i don't know we'll see how it goes um but we like to pray for you and send you off right um in a sense some of you do obviously go to school a lot farther uh maybe we won't be able to see you every week but uh we'd like to bless you so we'll let you know what that when that will be and what that date will be and how we will accommodate you uh but if you are going to school starting september we'll be in touch very very soon um we have some travelers abroad um Yoni <laughs> and Esther are going through Spain right now and they're loving it. Um, I think, where's I? Oh, Ivy, you're leaving soon too, right? Right? Going to Portugal, right? So everyone's going to Europe. I'll be in Europe. I'll be in Greece at the end of September, which is fantastic. Um, so that's that, right? So travelers, please pray for their safety and well being and hopefully you know, we'll get to see them soon. Um, and I think that is it. In terms of lunch, we can just get some helping hands, set up tables, chairs, everything. A lot of people now, so uh, maybe we can move quicker, get the food ready. So let's uh, rise for the Lord's Prayer and conclude our service today. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. If we get some help, uh, that'd be fantastic.